we've been in this Nehemiah series last couple weeks, and and just to kind of, if I could put a um, a recap on the the last couple weeks, I, I kind of boiled it down to this this one statement, um, and it, and it's this: a good God has called us to do a good work. That's what that's what we're here for. A good God has called us, his people, his followers, to do a good work. And, and so, you know, as we're unpacking this story that's, that's hundreds and hundreds of years old, that's ancient and dusty and old, there is so much relevance to what is actually going on today. The movement of God that is showing up in this community. And, uh, and so, so I want to keep unpacking this story um, but I feel like I need to kind of explain this for a second. Um, what is a good work? What's a good work? How do we define what a good work is? We know that God is good and we know that he's giving us and given us something to do. So I want to take a, a quick minute and, and just define that. All right, from scripture, using this Nehemiah story, the walls of Jerusalem were a symbol of God's good work. The walls of Jerusalem, they symbolized protection. They symbolized that that city, God's city, was going to be restored and rebuilt. And so in that day and age, a good work would be considered rebuilding those walls. Okay, and, and so... Here's the thing. Like I said, this isn't a dusty old story. This applies to right now. And, and I want to show you how this points to Jesus. And th- honestly, this is kind of a side note to, to the, whole, the whole point of what I want to say today, but I, just, I feel like I need to say it. And, uh, and so I want to show you just, just really quickly how, uh, just briefly, this story points to Jesus. And it's found in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, all right, it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. It says, then Eliashib, the high priest. Yes, Eliashib. Um, that's what I'm going to name my second son, uh, Eliashib. And if it's a girl, it'll be Eliashibi. Uh, so I know you guys are all thinking you were going to take that, but I just called it. Um, so anyway, Elishab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate, and they consecrated it, and they set its doors. All right, so, so in that statement, let's, let's unpack this in a minute. You have Elishab, the high priest, okay? He is the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 3, and what he does is he begins the work of restoring Jerusalem, God's city, all right? He begins restoring Jerusalem, and it starts by him restoring the sheep gate. Now, you know what the sheep gate was? It was the gate that the priests took the sacrifice in to the temple, It was the gate that they went out and they found the perfect spotless lamb that they were going to sacrifice and they brought that lamb through the sheep gate to be the offering and the sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. And then it goes on and says, after they got it built up, they consecrated it, which means they made it holy. They, they, they made it separate. They made it different. That's what holy means. Did you know that? The, the, the essence of the word holy just basically means to be different, to be unlike anything else. That's God. 
He's holy. He's unlike anything else we've ever seen, we've ever experienced. And so, and so I love this because the very, as I, as I read that, it's not coincidental that Nehemiah begins the recording of the, the city of Jerusalem being rebuilt with the high priest building the gate of sacrifice and consecrating it. Jesus is our high priest. It says multiple times throughout scripture, Jesus acts as our high priest. Watch this. Watch the parallel. Jesus begins the work of building a new Jerusalem for us. In, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, it talks about God restoring into a new Jerusalem. Jesus becomes that sacrificial lamb for us. He sacrificed himself wholly and willingly, which consecrates us. It makes us holy. Therefore, all of that rebuilds the community that God had originally intended for us to have, that we had broken down, that we had destroyed because of our sin. The whole story of the gospel in one verse about a high priest rebuilding a gate. That is what it means to be about a good work, to be about a good work rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Today, a good work is whatever God has in store for you that shows him more to you and others around you. That's what a good work is. God has tons of good works for us to be about. He has tons of opportunities throughout our days to show other people about his glory, and to reveal more of himself to us. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about being about God's good work. Now, now, now hear me. I'm not trying to preach some form of legalism. Like you got to go around and do a bunch of work, and, and eventually God's going to be happy and satisfied with you because you're a good worker. That's not what I'm saying. You can't work your way into salvation. God simply provides opportunities for those of us who are followers of Jesus to see more of himself, to bring other people into that knowledge and into that experience, to draw people because of what we are doing on this earth. So I want to ask you, (laughs) do you know what good work God is wanting you to take part in? What's the good work that you're put here for? Maybe when you leave this place, you might have a good work that God has in store for you. You might have an opportunity when you go to lunch today. You might have an opportunity to show somebody God's glory and God's power and to share with them how good he is, whether that's a family member, a coworker, whatever. We got to be about God's good work. Here's the thing. We have to know that God is in what we're doing. We have to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt as a follower of Jesus. We have to know that God is in what we are doing because here's the thing. (laughs) Life is not all kittens and unicorns. It's not. 
Life isn't perfect. Life isn't, you know, a, a trail of daisies and green grass wherever you go. It's not, you know, little uh, like, um, like those Disney princesses, the little animals that come up and lick their face and just help them put their clothes on. You know what I mean? And like, like all that. That's not what this life is, man. Life is not that. Obstacles always come. It's a guarantee. Jesus told his disciples, you're going to go through some rough times. So one thing that we can bank on is that struggles are going to come. So when you're about God's work, we have to embrace the fact struggles will come. I want to share this with you. In, in chapter 3, it goes on to talk about how, how Nehemiah basically gathered all these different types of people together, from, from rulers to merchants to goldsmiths to, fer, to perfumers, however you say that word, and, and all these different people from all these different walks of life started gathering together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it says this in, in the middle of the whole thing. It talks about all these different people who, who were helping rebuild the walls. And there's this one verse It's in uh, chapter 3, verse 5. It says this. And next to them, which was the the people group that was right before this, next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. The entire chapter 3 talks about all of these different people groups who served under Nehemiah's leadership to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And there's this one tiny verse in chapter 3, verse 5. And it says, The Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. The nobility of the city of Tekoa, which is about six miles south of Jerusalem, was not willing to buy in to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now, my theory on this is, is in the research that I've done, the city of Tekoa was literally right beside an Arab-run area. And if you read through the rest of the chapter and then through chapter 4, you see that the Arabs don't like Jer- uh, Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. They don't like it. Because they have a, a claim on some of that land. And so when, when the Jews come in and start rebuilding the walls, the Arabs say, whoa, 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 what are you trying to do? And so the city of Tekoa, which is right beside the, these Arab-run cities, they go, nah. The nobility says, I don't know if I want to buy into that. I'll support it. Like, good job. I hope you do well. But I'm not actually going to pick up a hammer and start swinging. I'm not going to start working. They feared the opposition of the neighboring cities. Now think about this. This represents people who don't necessarily oppose what you're doing. They're just not willing to take part. They don't oppose God moving in the community. They're just not willing to step in and say, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take part in a move. Friends, (laughs) If you call Hope City home, that will never be our DNA. We will never be a group of people that says, hey, God, do your thing, keep moving. We'll, we'll, we'll clap and sing, and, and we'll stay right here in our little holy huddle, and we'll hug each other, and we'll say, hey, how you doing? Great day or whatever, but, uh, but we're going to go to Golden Corral right after this, and then we're going to go home, and we're going to wait till next Sunday. All right, that's not what we are called to be. That's not what we're called to do. We are not going to be the nobility that sits back and watches while God moves. 
That's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Picking up a hammer and swinging is not easy. The nobility feared the opposition. We will not be driven by fear. We cannot be driven by fear because guess what? It's only human. And if it is satanic power or demonic power that shows up in your life, guess what? God's greater. He wins. (laughs) We have the most powerful divine weapon ever crafted. Our creator God has literally given us his spirit to be empowered to move in this community. How in the world can we be driven by the fear of what people might think about us? It's silly. It's ridiculous. We got to learn to get dirty. We got to learn to be willing to go to places that make us feel uncomfortable and do things that stretches us and pushes us because life is not easy. But I'm telling you, friends, we have to have a bias for prayer filled action. We have to lean in to prayer-filled action. When we know God's about it, when we know God's moving, we jump on that opportunity. That is what we have to be and who we are called to be. Here's what blows my mind. This is how good God is. The Tekoite nobility, they benefited from other people's obedience to God. They benefited from the city of Jerusalem being built up. And guess what? There's people in this community who say, hey, I love Jesus, I'm all in, but they're not willing to get their hands dirty, and they're going to benefit from our willingness to be obedient. And you know what? That's awesome. Because God's message is moving forward. The movement is moving forward. And every time somebody who's not willing to get their hands dirty sees someone stepping into God's mission in their life, they're drawn just a little bit closer. (laughs) The edge is getting a little bit closer, and they're that close to saying, you know what, maybe I need to do this. Whatever that mission is that God has for me, maybe I just need to, to lean into it. Maybe I need to step in to that. Opposition will come from within. Opposition will happen from your friends and your family and people you love, whenever you start doing weird things like picking up homeless people and taking them places and giving people food and, and hanging around, I mean, people that aren't like you, like, like, like your friends and your family are going to go, dude, what is wrong with you? Right? Hey, but that's okay. You got to be about God's work. You got to be about rebuilding his community in this place. And if we're afraid, guess what? God's movement still moves. God still accomplishes his will. We just don't get to be a part of it. We don't get to see it. I love that. So opposition will come from within. Here's another thing. Opposition will come from outside. There will be outside influences. So, so like I said, the rest of chapter 3 blows my mind about how Nehemiah literally took some 40, some 50 different people groups and positioned them to rebuild this wall. And, and it's, it's this humongous list of all these different people, and it says something about his leadership. But as they're building the wall, all right, in chapter 4, there's these guys. Uh, one of them is, 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 uh, goes by the name Sandballot, which makes me think of, of, a, of casting a vote on a beach. Uh, Sandballot. And um, 
uh, and then there's another dude, uh, Tobiah, and, uh, and a guy that comes in the picture later named Geshem, and uh, some Arabs, and some Ashdodites, and not all these people, and I don't even know where they're from or whatever, but clearly they don't like what's going on in Jerusalem. And, uh, and so they start, they start poking fun and jeering, and they start kind of threatening a little bit. Hey, guys, you, you guys over there rebuilding the wall, it's not going to last. It's going to get knocked down. Somebody's going to take this. Somebody's going to beat you guys up. We might even get upset and try to kill you. Opposition will come from the outside. Let me tell you something. I heard a guy by the name of Bill Johnson say this, and this, this quote has stuck with me for a long time. You can tell the strength of a word by the strength of its opposition. When God gives you something powerful, you know it's powerful when the opposition is equally powerful. When God gives you something strong, expect strong opposition to follow. That's the way it is. Satan does not like the kingdom moving forward. And so, so as they're taking this punishment and taking these threats, which we may be involved in being a part of, we might have to step into people calling us crazy and threatening us and so on and so forth. Thankfully, we live in a country where we are free and we're not killed for our faith. But I mean, doggone, that could happen at some point in our history. And, uh, and it says, what did the people of Israel do? I love this. Chapter 4, verse 6, after they started getting all this ridicule, it says in chapter 4, verse 6, their response to the opposition was, so we built the wall. (laughs) Right? So we built the wall. Opposition comes, people start poking fun, people start making fun of our wall, so we built the wall. By the way, I've been to Israel, and there is a huge section of the wall called the Wailing Wall, or also the Western Wall, that's still standing today from when Nehemiah built it. The wall is still standing. Like, that blows my mind. Their answer to the opposition was, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, And I love this, for the people had a mind to work. You know what that means? That means that deep down in their heart and in their soul, they said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not living in ruin. I'm not living in shame. I'm going to rise up and I'm going to build. Because I have a God that is greater than anything that, that any kind of opposition or force that could come. I'll take the threats. I'll take the curses, whatever. I'm going to build the wall. When it says they had a mind to work, it means that deep down they had this desire. Nehemiah had, ignite, had ignited a spark in their soul that they said, I can't sit still anymore Jerusalem has to be rebuilt. What is it in your heart and in your mind that's burning in your soul that you say, I cannot sit still anymore. People have to know about God. They have to know about this. There's a people group over here that desperately needs Jesus, and I've got to go take it to them. My family member, my coworkers, whatever it is, what is igniting that spark in you that just says, i got to tell somebody. Do we do that when people hurl insults or, or fear in your direction is your answer so we built the wall? Do we do that? Or when times get tough, do we say, whoa, 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 I didn't sign up for this, Jesus. 
I thought it was the kittens and unicorns path, right? I thought it was, was fun. I thought this being, being a Christ follower was going to be easy. Mm. So the question is, how do we combat this opposition? I love this. Because this, this part, uh, it's just, it's so strategic. <laughs> and I love how Nehemiah puts this. You see, when opposition comes from within and from without, we have to learn to combat it. We got to have the right tools. And guess what? God has given us the right tools. All right, and it, and it, it comes like this right here. Now, hold on one second. Can you hear me? This. <laughs> Does this work? Maybe I need a lapel mic. This is what it looks like. A hammer and a sword. Check this out. In verse 16... As the, the threats got worse, they started to say that they were going to kill the people of Israel. And in verse 16, Nehemiah says, From that day on, once the threats got intense, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. Get this, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. If you call yourself a leader in this place, your job is to be on the front line while the builders build, standing, waiting for the opposition to come. God has given us a hammer and a sword. Like I said a few weeks ago, leaders go first. Leaders are on the front lines waiting for the opposition. Now, the front line might be your prayer closet. It might be you getting on your face and going to battle for somebody's soul. That's your sword. That's your shield. That's your armor. And it might be being willing to take a bullet for somebody. It might be you stepping in the way of someone hurling threats and insults and spewing venom on somebody else. You might be the guy or the girl that steps in and says, no, 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 no. Satan, you can't have this one. <laughs> this family member, this coworker, this person that you have put me in touch with, they're a child of God. And I'm going to war for that person. Man, you don't, you don't know how many phone calls and texts and stuff I get throughout the week where, where people are like, hey, brother, I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up. Be encouraged today. Man, we need that. This community needs to be about deep level relationships. We need to be willing to go to battle for each other. I'm not talking like every single person in this room, let's group hug and, and sing Kumbaya right now, okay? I'm, I'm talking 
we need to have a core group around us of people that are willing and equipped to go to battle. This scripture goes on. I love this. And it says, um, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Worked with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. You see, the hammer represents missional work. We have a kingdom to be about building. And it's not your kingdom, and it's not my kingdom, and it's not Hope City's kingdom, and it's not any other church in this community's kingdom. It's the kingdom of God Almighty. And he is telling us that it is time to raise our stinking hammers and go to work. There are people in this community that need to know him, that need to know how good he is and how powerful he is and how, how much more greater he is than any other struggle that that, that that person or that group of people could ever experience. And it takes being willing to go into communities that need him, that need him. This Saturday, Hope City was in two communities, a mostly all Hispanic community, And in downtown High Point, dude, I love that. That's missional. That's us saying we're going outside of the walls. We're going to raise our hammer and go to work. That looks like building relationships with people that don't look like you or think like you. That's what it looks like. It's missional work. So my question is this. Who or what are you investing in kingdom work with? What are you doing that has kingdom implications? What are you doing that Jesus is going, hey, hey guys, come here, come here, come here. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Watch this. This this is awesome right here. Look at what they're getting ready to do. What are you building? What kingdom are you building? And then lastly is this, our sword. God has given us divine weapons to combat every single spiritual power of darkness that there is. And like I said, we win. There is no sickness. There is no struggle. There is nothing in this world that can touch us that that is greater in comparison to our eternal kingdom in community with God. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Some of us need to pick up our swords and go to battle. I love this because, get this, throughout the whole story, in, in the last verse, it says this, in 23, so neither I nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us, we didn't take up we didn't take off our clothes and we each kept our weapons at our right hand. And what that means is when we went to wash up, when we went to the bathroom, when we took a shower, we didn't take our armor off and we didn't take our sword off. Sometimes 
God calls us away from doing missional work. Sometimes we need seasons where we put down our hammer. But there's never a season where we're called to drop our sword. There is never a season where we're called to put our spiritual divine weapons down. Because the moment that we drop our weapons is the moment that Satan slides in and starts throwing darts. War can break out at any moment, folks. So here's the question. Are you protecting yourself? Are you protecting others? Are you willing to go to battle for those that you call friends and family and co-workers and God forbid the people on the other side over there (laughs) that aren't like you are you willing to go to battle for them it starts by protecting yourself some of us have gotten so caught up in serving that we've forgotten to carry our sword We've lost our way. We don't know the word. We don't even know how to combat Satan when he begins to attack. Because our stuff has gotten rusty and old. And we don't even know how to use it anymore because we're not trained. So I want to challenge you today. We need to be ready for war. We need to be ready to go to war, to take care of ourselves and to take care of our families. This one verse, I just feel like I need to share this and then I'm done. Man, if you guys will come up, I want to, I just want to share this real quick. This is in verse 14. It's not, well, actually, I think we do have it on the computer. Nehemiah tells the people of Israel this. He says, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the opposition. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. Get this. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. I can tell you why. It's my heart's desire to take this sword up every day. It's because I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. They call me daddy. I know is growing up in a culture that is going to tell them the exact opposite of what scripture teaches. I have a wife that looks to me as a spiritual leader of our household. And I have a responsibility to go to battle for her. Wives in the room, you have a responsibility to raise your sword for your kids and for your husbands. It's time to take our families back. That's how the community thrives. That's how we grow. When we say, I'm done with putting the sword down, I'm done with being relaxed, I'm done with with all of that stuff, I'm going to pick up the tools that God has given me. So here's the thing. We're going to sing this song. It says, "I, I give you my heart. 
just want you to think on those words. May I give you my heart, God. And, and if you need to pick up your hammer and go to work, that's awesome. If you need to pick up your sword, if you need to get sharper, if you need to take your divine spiritual weapons and go to war, I challenge you to do that. But if you've got business that you need to do here today, this altar is open. We've got a ministry team that wants to pray with you and pray for you. I just want to give you this time just to reflect and think, really chew on the words that are coming. And if you need to do something, come on up and we'll pray for you.